Hello and welcome back to Throwback Reviews Podcast. Thanks for joining us as Rob and I move through the decade of 1980. This month, February, we are talking about movies from 1981 and we'll be working our way through the 80s each month of the year. So um, if you listened to last month, you'll know the format. There really is no uh, rhyme or reason to these movies of why we pick them. They don't necessarily have to be movies that we love. They're just movies that stand out from that year that we remember watching. And uh, that's really it's the only rules to it other than our time limit that Rob and I have set for ourselves. So um, we're going to get right to it here. My first pick of the movies for 1981. Uh, Rob, do you like cars? You're a car guy, right? I'm a car guy. Love them. Love cars. Love driving them. Love listening to them, and love movies about them. Are you familiar? Like, did you were you a car guy who like knew all the different types of cars growing up, and st- and still do? You know, I I knew the ones from my era. I don't necessarily know the old ones. Like when I go, you know, the car show with my dad. He knows all the ones from his era. He's like, oh, look at that. You know, you can tell a 1956 from a 57 because it's got the split window in the front. And I'm like, Zach, I can't see the windows from here. So he knows that. But then I know my era, you know, like I, I maybe not to that, that degree. But um, yeah, so I don't know newer cars. Like I see newer cars and I just go, ah, is that a, I just think every car is a Honda. Go, yeah. Is that a Honda? <laughs> I'm, I'm not a Honda. I'm personality not a, that ours had yeah i'm not a real big motorhead i don't yeah. know a ton of cars i don't know a ton about cars i want to drive them i have fun driving them pretty good driver but the cars i do know like i know trans ams i know lamborghinis i know ferraris i know ambulances and that's because of this <laughs> movie with burnt rattles the cannonball run um, it is, uh, yeah. Well, you want you want to lead us into it? Well, I, I'll just say that um, there are actually a couple movies on the list tonight that I actually went to the theaters to see. So, 1981. Uh, I didn't look at what months these came out, but I mean, I was born basically at the end of September 27th. So, I would, you know, at this point, I'm barely seven. If if that, I may be six and a half when some of these came out. So. Um, Cannonball Run. I don't even know if I saw it in '81. I probably saw it like we talked about this last time. HBO movie. It's a big theme with us. Probably '82, maybe even '83 or something, depending on the the delay that they had going to uh, you know the, the subscription channels. But yeah, I mean, I I remember watching this quite a bit on HBO, and uh, we were talking a little bit before the show. It's kind of just a. I mean. Obviously, the premise of the movie is they start, I think it's somewhere in New England, right? Like somewhere up there. I forget where it even starts, but they're going across the country, a race. Um, I believe this is a real thing. It still goes on or has gone on in different ways. But um, it's just got a lot of different cameos of people in this movie. And uh, it's a lot of fun. A lot of things that probably nowadays wouldn't be in the movie, some stereotypes and some humor and, uh, you know, there's some (laughs) there's some situations and kidnapping and stuff like that. But if you're just taking it as a goofy movie with car, you know, racing and stuff like that. It, it was a fun thing watching growing up. And there was, a, I mean, I think it's true with a lot of these movies earlier in the 80s that we're going to follow. is like watching me as a kid, you don't always catch everything. You know what I mean? And now watching them as adults, you kind of catch some of the humor or things that you go, 
yeah, that wouldn't uh, <laughs> that wouldn't play well these days. You know, um, it's funny how many famous people are in this movie. Uh, I mean, it is literally like just a, a who's who, you know, of people. Uh, at that time, of course, you know, uh, we, it starts off, uh, I mean, I think Burt Reynolds and Dom DeLuise are kind of our the characters that we see the movie through, uh, you know, through their eyes. And, you know, like you said, it, it was based on that real uh, cannibal, you know, cannibal run race where they drive across the country, uh, you know, to see who can make it the fastest from, from point A to point B. And so apparently that was part of the thing was, you know, could they... Um, you know, they could use tricks, right? Like they could disguise, like, you know, it's not just like having the super fastest car, like a, a Ferrari or a Lamborghini, you know, because, uh, if you did that, you know, you get pulled over, people would always pull you over. So, you know, if you were to, um, make your car, uh, like Burt Reynolds and, uh, Dom DeLuise and his, uh, alter ego, Captain Chaos, <laughs> um, you know, then, uh, and they're in an ambulance. And so that's going to be their shtick is that nobody's going to pull them over because they're going to pretend that they are, uh, transporting a patient, you know? Um, you know, I didn't know this. There, there's a few things, you know, when we saw these movies as a kid, there was stuff we didn't, we didn't know, especially like the behind the scenes mm -hmm. uh, kind of stuff. And this movie was, um, uh, directed by, I think it's, is Hal Needham is his name. I always, I always get his last name wrong, but, uh, uh, he is the guy who directed, uh, Smokey and the Bandit, <laughs> which is obviously the tie in, you know, that he got mm -hmm. with Burt Reynolds. Um, what else was on my list? He directed Hooper and Stroker Ace. Uh, he directed Megaforce. Which was a pretty big flop, but was Stroker was Stroker Ace was that was that a Burt Reynolds or it is yeah okay. they were they were just buddies you know in fact Burt Reynolds said um, about Cannibal Run one time he said I took that movie for all the wrong reasons and basically I did it as a favor uh, to um, uh, Hal Needham now Hal Needham he he directed all these movies right but he was not originally a director he was a stuntman. And so that's how he got into Hollywood was just doing crazy car stunts. And so when he became a director, he was like, I'm going to direct movies full of crazy car stunts. <laughs> so that was his whole shtick. Um, so yeah, it basically, uh, I, I read an interview with him one time and he said, uh, here's how you make movies. You put a bunch of crazy stunts in there and then you put some hot chicks in there and, uh, um, that's pretty much it. I mean, just stunts and, and hot people and some humor. I think that was his, his, uh, ingredients for a movie. And it so works for this. <laughs> it works. I mean, that's, and that's exactly, uh, what this movie is. It's just a bunch of jokes, scenes. Um, you know, when I rewatched this movie, uh, over the past week and one of the things that today, and, and this is a theme, I mean, this will be a theme through all through this entire decade of movies we talk about. But when we watch movies today, if you're writing a script and you say, uh, what's a funny scene? Okay. I'm going to have two guys in an airplane. I'm going to have them land the airplane on main street of some town, run in, buy beer, come back out in the airplane and take off. You go, who, who cares? Of course we could do that. We'll just do it in CGI or we'll do this. Or do it's no big deal. But when you write that into your movie in 1981, 
you have to go to a town. You got to shut down a town. You got to get a stunt airplane fly, uh, pilot that can land a plane on the street and then have them go in and take it off like at a stall. Like when I was watching this, I was like, oh my God, they actually did this. It's crazy. You even know? like, and even when the plane turns around in the street and everything, all the papers, everything flying because the store door is open. Yes. Yes. It, yeah. It was, uh, <laughs> yeah, there was a lot of that stuff. Like the, like the car, I think it was, uh, was it Terry Bradshaw? And uh, they like they dumped their car in a pool, right? Right. And Mel Tillis. Yeah. <laughs> Which I gotta say, I, I was gonna ask you if you could pair up in a car. That's the car I'd be going in. Terry Bradshaw just seems. I mean, I'm not a huge football guy, so it wouldn't be for that. He just seems like a fun, like a fun guy to hang with. <laughs> right. They're just two dudes who are like drinking beer and driving and and just having a good time. And of course, they've all got muscle cars, you know. Um, I'm going to open up IMDb and just kind of scroll through here. Uh, of course we talked about Burt Reynolds, Tom DeLuise. They pick up Farrah Fawcett who uh, rides do, in the ambulance. Do they pick her up? Do they like uh, just, that's what I'm saying. Don't they like kind of kidnap yeah. her? Yeah. And then whenever they're, they're like, oh, and the police are coming. They're like, oh, we'll just shoot her full of this sedative <laughs> or put the laughing gas on her and stuff. Yeah. There's some questionable stuff there. Um, you got, um, a pair of, uh, Dean Martin and Sammy Davis Jr. Who I'm sure when I saw this, I did not know who they were, you know, like this would have been my introduction to those. Two yeah. Guys. I think, I'm, I think the same here as well. Yeah. I, I and uh, I, and I almost want to go back on who I said I'd be in the car with <laughs> just because <laughs> I am, you know, such a fan of that time and, and, and the music and everything, but I all like, I'm like, I don't know if Terry Bradshaw and them, they drink it, but they just seem like they'd handle that stuff a little better. Like, but D Martin always played that, that drunk so well, mm-hmm. but that would be, uh, that'd be a blast to, to be in that car. You got the Cougar. Now this, this movie was uh, actually produced by golden harvest. And if you watch a lot of Kung Fu movies, you see golden harvest, golden harvest was a huge, they were like the number two, uh, producer of Kung Fu flicks behind the Shaw brothers. So uh, one of their, their rules or one of their demands was we want to have at least one of our staple actors in the movie. And one of their staple actors was Jackie Chan. So we get Jackie Chan in his first American role. Uh, they're driving the super high tech, Subaru that has all the switches and missiles and stuff like that. Did did you notice? Um, so when they introduced Jackie Chan in, in in the car, right in there, it's like on a like a Japanese uh, show that's supposed to be kind of like the the Johnny Carson show, right? Mm-hmm. And did you did you ever see that movie? They call me Bruce. Oh yeah, yeah. That was the that was the that was the the host. The guy oh, that was played, that him? I'm I'm om- I would I would bet. No, I wouldn't bet money oh, on it, but you. I'm pretty you. sure that is the guy. Um, and and from that movie, I don't even know what, what year that is, so we might talk about it again um, at some point. I think it's definitely early 80s, but, you know, I I, I remember that movie somewhat, and we're not really talking about it, but we'll, we'll have to – I got to look it up and see when the heck that movie was because I do want to rewatch it and, and talk about it because I remember certain things of it, but that was it. But, yeah, I'm like, holy crap. And, like, even Jackie Chan, like, I didn't – 
like from this movie moving forward through the 80s, I never, okay, I had no idea who Jackie Chan is or who this guy was until I rewatched it like years ago. And, mm-hmm. you know, Jackie Chan was huge in America at that point. I was like, holy crap, that's Jackie Chan. Yeah, I mean, there's Jamie Foxx. I mean, you could go, you could spend the whole time just talking about all the people that are in this movie. But yeah, it's just a crazy fun car race. Uh, I, I think it's, it's more fun to watch now that I'm a little older and get all the stuff. One person, one thing that I thought was funny, and I saw this uh, mentioned in the trivia, was that, um, of course, Roger Moore is in the movie driving uh, an Aston Martin, a James Bond car, and he's basically James Bond in the movie. But apparently there were a lot of uh, legal issues, and Roger Moore had a stipulation in his contract that he was not allowed to portray James Bond in any other movies or even parody James Bond. So if you watch the movie with that in mind, you notice that he's not a guy who thinks he's James Bond. He's a guy who thinks he's Roger Moore. So his name is Seymour and he's like, oh yeah, I, I, you know, he acts like Roger Moore. And so that was kind of how they skirted around that legal issue yeah. is that he wasn't supposed to be like James Bond. He's supposed to be like Roger Moore was like James Bond, um, yeah. but just just wacky fun, you know. And remind the end of it is kind of like it's a what's that? It's a madman, mad, mad, mad world or whatever. Where they're you know it's the car and they all get to the thing at the end and then they're all racing on foot and everybody's trying to get to the the end. But um, you know the the one thing I would mention about this is that and and this is um, a lot of these movies. Uh, and, and I know that going forward, we'll say this over and over again, but I misremembered how much of this movie was the race. And when I was watching it, and this is an hour and a half movie, and the race doesn't really start until the beginning of the second act. It's almost exactly 30 minutes in. So there's the first 30 minutes is not them doing the cannibal run. And in my memory, yeah, it's all you know, set the up. Race of, started in five minutes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. We're, we're, we're getting this whole long setup of all the teams and, and who they are. Um, and then, and then the, the whole Farrah Fawcett and um, was it Dr. Foyt or, the guy that was like the um, environment, he was at the, the environmentalist thing. Yeah. He was like, <laughs> he was like the bad guy of, of the movie. And so there's that set up and then, yeah, then you get into the race, but yeah, you're right. I didn't, I didn't really think that either. I thought of it the same way as a kid that it was just all racing, you know, but really as a kid and even as an adult, the only part that stood out to me, was the Lamborghini chase in the beginning. I love that opening, even how it turns out when they get pulled over, but just that whole chase, you know, and uh, with the, with the cop car, I think it was like a Trans Am or Camaro or some of those things all look the same to me. Uh, again, I'm not a motorhead, but and the, chasing the Lamborghini and then the Lamborghini chasing the cop car. I love that chase scene. So um, yeah, it definitely a fun movie. Um, I would definitely recommend if you haven't, and you know, there are people out there that haven't seen all the movies. Cause I mean, there's a lot here as we go through the eighties that I didn't see as a kid and I'm watching as an adult and love them. So I would say, uh, check out the cannonball run. It's a fun action movie that won't make you think too hard. Yes. So <laughs> let, let's get on to, uh, your first, uh, pick. Uh, I think the first pick that I have on my list is, uh, a movie from 1981, obviously, that was a uh, a sci-fi fantasy movie that starred a lot of people that I didn't know that I knew, but it turns out that I did know them from other roles. 
And this is a movie that I, I saw in the drive-in. Uh, I saw this on a double feature at the drive-in along with Dragon Slayer. I saw both these movies the same day. But this was 1981's Time Bandits. Now, is Time Bandits a movie that you saw back in the day, or is this a new one for you? It is, and this is one that I actually saw in the theater. My mom took us... Uh... You know, that's an ongoing thing. My mother took my brother and I to the movies a lot. It must have been a heck of a lot cheaper back when we were younger. Mm. It's pretty darn, pretty darn expensive now, but my mom took my brother and I to tons of movies as a kid. My dad was always working. so. But, yeah, this was one we, we went to the theater to see. And, um, you know, on HBO, I, n- I don't think I ever really sat through it that much afterwards. I thought I liked it more than... I actually do, to be quite honest with you, and that, that's probably <laughs> not a very popular opinion. But I had a I had a tough time uh, get, getting through this one, to be honest with you. I think again, back to the thing of misremembering these movies in my head. This was a movie about uh, the Time Bandits and them traveling through time and being in their you know their costumes or whatever. And then when you rewatch it, you realize how many, how much time is set in these historical settings. Like a big chunk of the movie is when they go back and, I mean, they go back and, well, just to set it up, uh, if you haven't seen it, it's about uh, a group of uh, little people and they, I think there's six of the time bandits and uh, they were working for the quote unquote supreme being of the universe. And the supreme being gave them this map and the map has uh, holes in the space time continuum. So they can, if they have the map and they, they know where these holes are, they can jump different points in history, different places, different times. And so their job was to originally repair these holes but instead they ran away with the map and realized that they could use it to their advantage to go through time where they knew there's going to be uh money and and riches to steal so i mean that setup you think okay it's going to be a lot about the time bandits and time travel and things like that and it is but in reality they go back to uh, Napoleon and they go rob Napoleon and then they go back to the Middle Ages and they spend a long time in the Middle Ages and then they go to, uh, they're on the Titanic for a while. I mean, but it's it's just these really long scenes and I didn't remember that stuff being that long. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I didn't like the, well, the first trip, the first uh, jump that they made where they, where they uh, stole from Napoleon. I just wasn't feeling that one. The, my favorite one, and I think it was the longest scene that played out, was when he um, when he fell on Sean Connery's character and when he was fighting the Minotaur. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like that, I remember that being my favorite scene. And I'll be honest, as a kid, again, I'm only seven at this point, you know, because this one I did see in the theater, so... I didn't, I thought it was just he was just fighting a guy with like a like a big helmet like a you know what I mean I didn't know what that was yeah and yeah. then even after he falls out of the sky and lands on him which distracts the Minotaur and then Sean Connery's character is able to kill him and he falls and when Sean Connery gets up he like pulls the head off and so that's that implied to me still like this is just like almost <laughs> almost like if you remember the the Flintstones when they would go to the lodge you know and uh the water <laughs> buffalo I think it was like one yeah, of the, yeah. it was like it was like something like that to me I didn't realize what this was 
until mm-hmm. I rewatched it this week, really, and I was like, oh, okay, I get it. But that is yeah. my favorite part of the whole movie. The Minotaur. I, I, you know, I think my, I mean, I, it sounds uh, silly, but my favorite part is the a climax battle between them and evil who works for the Supreme being. And basically evil who's played by, uh, David Warner, who, uh, is a great character actor. Uh, David Warner has been in a million things. Mm-hmm. He was in the omen. He was in uh, Tron. He was in uh, time after time. He was Jack the Ripper. He's been in a million things. Love that movie. That movie was, he is so, he is such a creepy dude. <laughs> yeah, he is. You know, you know he really and- is. And I think that's part of why I didn't like this movie with him because he's so freaking creepy. Yeah, he is. He's evil. But they have this uh, fight, you know, towards the end, and and he's able to sum it up anything. So I mean, and and of course, time travel, you know, uh, inventions or whatever, like time. There's no time constraint. So you know, you've got tanks, you've got laser guns, you've got just all these ridiculous things uh, in in this big fight now. Um, I got to talk just for a second about the time bandits themselves. The time bandits are the, the little people. They're all, you know, short little people. And, uh, you know, when I watched this movie in 1981, uh, there was only one that I, that I knew who the actual person was. And that's Kenny Baker. Mm-hmm. Now, Kenny Baker, if you're a Star Wars fan, you know the name. Kenny Baker played R2-D2. And so, uh, of course, in the Star Wars universe, R2-D2 is a droid. There's no person inside. So to be able to see the person who's inside R2-D2 all that time, I mean, that was such a big thrill to me. But I didn't know who the other, uh, you know, other little actors were. And I looked through on IMDb and almost all of them have, uh, like the following things. Almost all of them say labyrinth. (laughs) They were a goblin return of the Jedi. They were an Ewok dark crystal. They were an extra, uh, many of them were in Willow. Many of them were in Flash Gordon. A couple of them were in Willy Wonka. And so uh, it was kind of a bummer. I mean, it's good, but it's a bummer to see, like, those are the roles that these guys got. Because in the movie, they're all good actors. You know, I mean, they have they have lines and they're doing stuff, you know, and it's not just, they're not just playing some little person you know, a creature in a mask, you know, uh, I did see that, of course, the number two guy from the, the time bandits is played by Jack Purvis. And on his IMDb, he has a couple of roles. Number one, chief Jawa. So he was the head Jawa, uh, in star Wars that came out and dealt with, uh, Luke and uncle Mm -hmm. Owen. He was also the chief Ugnot, um, in uh, empire strikes back. And he's also Tebow, (laughs) the Ewok. So, um, he obviously had that, you know, connection with star Wars. Um, it, most of them had a lot of spots that were just, uh, um, extras, you know, Mike Edmonds is, uh, the guy who is Og. He seems like in the movie, he's like a little slower. He doesn't speak as much, uh, as the other guys. He just kind of, is he the one that gets turned into a pig? Yes. Um, and he was low gray, the Ewok, the medicine Ewok, which is kind of funny because, 
would say most of all, I mean, for the most part, nobody cares which Ewok was Ewok. I, I, was, just gonna, that- I was just going to say, like, I, I, you know, I, I love Star Wars, the original trilogy. I have, mm-hmm. other than Wicked, I have no idea, unless you're explaining the character of the Ewok, their names. But I know well, there are people that are going, oh, yeah, I know that. I know that one. Well, the only reason I would know Logre is because he was, in the first series, he was the only other Ewok that had a character, I mean, the action figure. <laughs> so he was the medicine man guy. So you had, you had uh, Wicket and you had uh, Logre. Um, and I did, and then I did also, have I did have that action figure. Had like the, the rubber head, like the like his uh, hood with yeah, like a rubber thing that slid yeah. up over top of it. Yeah. Um, and then this kind of made me—I don't know if it made me sad or what—but it said on his other things, he was the the dwarf who was dancing in the Men Without Hats, the safety dance. Uh, and if you remember the music video yep. for Safety Dance, it's like at a medieval fair. He's like a little jester, then, right? Yes. <laughs> There's a little guy who's a jester, and it was that guy. Dude, so. that makes me happy. Why would that make you sad? I don't know. That video was huge growing up as a kid. I'll tell you what did make me sad is that um, uh, that that man, Mike Edmonds, is the only one of the Time Bandits who's still alive. The other five uh, have all passed away over the years. Of course, um, uh, if you're uh, being born with dwarfism, a lot of times they don't have uh, long lifespans. Although, you know, a lot of them lived into their fifties and sixties. And I know Kenny Baker died uh, a few years ago, which was a, a big deal for Star Wars people. But yeah, unfortunately all of them have passed away except for that guy. So, well, I gotta tell you, ju- bands, go, ahead, go ahead. Well, I was just say, just based on looking at the IMDB images right now of them, Malcolm Dixon, like all I'm seeing, if you're a Howard Stern fan is Hank, the angry drunken dwarf. He looks just like him. So if you, Look on IMDb. I'm telling you, he's they're like yeah. spitting, spitting images of each other. The problem is, like two or three of the guys had full beards. When they have full beards and they all have kind of similar noses, so it does kind of make their faces all look very similar, you know. And so the characters that were different, like a uh, guy that was the leader, um, you know, they were all like clean shaven, and and so they kind of looked differently than the other ones, you know. But um, man, Time Bandits. It was a fun movie as a kid. I don't think I understood what was going on as a kid. Mm-hmm. And then I watched it as an adult and I sort of understood it. But then the parts I thought I understood, I didn't. So I don't know. It's <laughs> it's a crazy movie. It's it's weird. Um, it's not one that I would I return back to all the time. And I watch it every, you know, I don't know, maybe three, four years, something yeah. like that. Like I'll go back and, but it's not a, it's not a watch all the time movie for me. I, I mean, I enjoy it for what it is. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't hate the movie. It's just, again, thinking back as a kid, like as a kid, I liked it because I wasn't probably really following like what was going on with the movie. It was just like, oh, now we're in this scene and, and oh, now we're here and like different characters, you know what I mean? So um, but yeah, it's not that I, I, I don't like hate the movie. It's just, I, I, I wouldn't go out of my way other than like for what we're doing now to rewatch it again. And then my wife just had it on like a couple of years ago. I remember her and the kids had, I came home and she, they were watching it and I remember sitting and watching it. And then I was like, yeah, I'm going to go get down to my work clothes now. I'm going to, I'm you good. Know, the, the only other thing yeah, that I had in my notes, <laughs> uh, was that, um, it was, uh, written and directed by Terry Gilliam. Uh, from uh, Monty Python, and it was co-written by Mike Palin, uh, all or Michael Palin, also from uh, uh, Monty Python. And so, I didn't know that as a kid, but seeing with adult eyes and knowing that, it 
does kind of have a Monty Python feel and it does have that Monty sure. Python movie feel where it's like they're going to go here and it's going to be a long skit and then they're going to go here and it's going to be a long skit, you know? And so it, it does have that structure. I guess this is part of Terry Gilliam kind of did a trilogy, a very loose, they're not really related, but just related uh, uh, thematically. And Brazil was part of this and the um, Baron Munchausen movie was, I never was saw Brazil. Uh, I, you know what? I've tried to watch both of those other movies and I just can't get through them. That'll probably get us a ton of negative feedback, <laughs> but I think they're the, the, those kind of movies where you kind of had to see them at the time or something. And I, mm-hmm. I may try to revisit them again, but they're, they're difficult to get into now, you know, but, but yeah, it just does. It has a little bit, not the, not the silliness of Monty Python, but that English kind of humor and the structure kind of feels like a Monty Python movie. I agree. I agree. So we're gonna, moving on to our next movie, one of my picks. This is a probably, I don't really see us spending a lot of time on it because this is actually episode 30 of Throwback Reviews. We're going back a long ways. You actually, to hear that, you'd have to go to our website, throwbackreviews.com, go to the archi- archives link, and then you can download all the old past episodes. We've talked about it. We had some issues with some hackers and all that kind of good stuff, and Rob had to save everything, and so... It would have been a real pain in the butt to put it back on the feed. So we do have a boatload. If you're new to this podcast, like we have a ton of old episodes. Just go to that archives page and there's a link right there. Um, but anyways, so this was episode 30. It is the uh, Lily Tomlin movie, The Incredible Shrinking Woman. Um, just a fun movie. This was definitely an HBO movie. I did not go to the theaters to see this, but I remember watching it. Uh, my mom was uh, a big fan of Lily Tomlin. Uh, especially my mom would recreate, I probably talked about it in an episode, but the little girl that she does character and, uh, and then the, uh, the, the phone operator, which you see those characters in this Lily Tomlin plays like four different characters in this, uh, in this movie, all based on, I believe they're all based on characters that she did previous to this and, and different comedy things. So, um, but you, it's, it's like a what would you say? Like, it's like a consumerism type of movie, right. Of how, we're just so into all these products and we believe everything that we, you know, hear what we're told about these products and we kind of just use all these things. And, and so she, uh, her husband works for, um, who is Charles Grodin. We may see him again today. We maybe not, we'll see. But, um, he works for, I believe an advertising company and he brings home stuff and she gets some perfume on her and, she slowly starts to shrink over time. It's not it's not like a honey I shrunk the kids where it's instant. It's like over time, but it is happening quickly, but you know what I mean? It's 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 slowed down a little bit, but um so it's this whole adventure of her becoming in the spotlight because of it and and uh how you know, there's these people who want to actually learn from her because they have these intentions of basically shrinking everybody in the world. Right. So that they can take over. And uh, so there's this power struggle and this and that. But it's a comedy movie. One of the things I do like about this movie and other 80s, early 80s movies um, is when you see these scenes like in grocery stores or just out in public, different things where you're seeing what it actually looked like in the times. And that's when I really start getting nostalgic. Right. When you're going through the grocery store and you're seeing the different products or in the house when they're putting stuff away. That's where, regardless of what the movie is about, that's where I get all warm and fuzzy. 
just reminds me of that because I remember as a kid going shopping with mom all the time. You know, just sitting on and sitting on the bottom of the cart. Do you ever do you ever do that when you're a little kid? You know, where you would put on like the very, the very very bottom. Yeah, where you might put like heavier items, like you know, a case yes. of beer or soda or whatever. Like, like fold, you'd fold yourself in half almost. Yes. Like your feet would be sticking out. Yes. you over like that. Yeah, I never see kids doing that anymore. It's a lost no. art form. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love doing that man just sitting under there because you're a kid like you could fold up like that and it, it, it's not like like obviously you and i are bigger than we were as we were little but even if you could if we had a cart that would maybe be equivalent to our size growth right just bending in that position i mean think about if you're on the couch and you fall asleep for a second like you wake up and you're god damn it like oh my neck like you're you're a kid you can do that it does, you're you're so resilient right but um, yeah, so it, it's a fun movie that we've already, you know, went through. So we don't have to spend a lot of time on this. I, I don't remember if this was a movie you had watched when we were, you were younger, or if this was something you'd watch for that episode. Oh, I saw this a million times as a kid. Okay. We've got to listen. If you're listening to the show right now, we need uh, your input. We need you to email us and I need a name for these movies that we did not see in the theater, but we all grew up and we all know because we all saw them on HBO. I was thinking something like HB onlys or HB. I don't know. We need some sort of catchphrase for these type of movies because, um, you know, this is one I did not see it in the movies and then I are in the theater and then I saw it a hundred thousand times. <laughs> on HBO over the next few years. Um, it was always on. Uh, yeah, there, there is obviously that that message of consumerism. I mean, as a kid, I, I guess you kind of get that. But, I mean, as a kid, is that your takeaway or is your takeaway, oh, you know, it's uh, she's shrinking and, oh, she's in a dollhouse. That's a fun scene, you know. And, and then there's uh, Sydney, <laughs> the gorilla, who um, Rick the, Baker. the makeup – yeah, and it's played by Rick Baker, who we may or may not hear from again later in this episode, <laughs> to quote you. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it's um, uh, you know, it's just a fun, fun kind of movie. But it does have the serious undertones, and I'm sure we talked about this when we did the original podcast. But there, there was something in our—I mean—that our brains were just able to absorb stuff. We were sponges at that age, and how is it that I always get? My wife's birthday and my daughter's birthday mixed up. They're two days apart. I always get them flipped around the wrong way, but I can immediately sing the jingle to Galaxy Glue, oh, yes. which is a, <laughs> a theme song to a glue that's not even real. It's not even a real product. It's just a stupid super glue parody that's in this movie. What would you do without Galaxy Glue? I mean, so there's just stuff about this movie uh, that has stuck with me. And that's the fun thing I think about a lot of these movies from the eighties and, and maybe my kids will feel the same way when they're old, they'll be like, Oh my God, I'll never forget that scene from the minions or something where I'm just like, have I seen minions 17? I don't know. It all runs together. But these things as a kid, man, they, they made us who we are, you know, like they became part of us. Like you could tell somebody i mean that we're we're both creeping up on 50 years old and we can sing the galaxy glue song and then we're like oh my god i remember that movie you know and it's so i don't know it's a weird thing that um 
Uh, I mean, it was just a, a perfect time where you had HBO and cable channels that didn't have as much content as they have now on TV, you know, so they were just showing these things. I mean, I'm sure there were times where this movie was on twice a day or something, you know what I mean? For weeks at a time or, or every day for, for months, you know, and so you would just see these same things over and over and, um, yeah, you know, I, I um. I don't, like I said, I, I just saw this so many times and um, don't know if I, I mean, I think Lily Tomlin may have been like those characters were those on, was she on Sesame street with those characters I, maybe or I something? Don't, or? Um, I, I'm not sure. I know. Um, I don't think the, 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 uh, the operator ones, maybe the little girl one is yeah, I, Edith I, or something. Yeah. You know? But I don't think the operator was, but my mom used to do it all the time. And she would be the character <laughs> of her little girl, like to everything where she would sit on the counter and like kick her legs where it was just, it was funny, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah. I'm sure that has a lot of attachment to this movie, but it, it, it yeah, you're right. We said this earlier. You watch them back then as a kid; they're fun for all the. I mean, there's a there's a gorilla, like you said. There's a gorilla that's like so human, like right, <laughs> because it's got a person in him. But you know, hey, maybe seven year old Sean thought it was a real gorilla. I don't know. But and then and of course, who didn't think of being able to get in their Fisher Price Adventure People car or their GI Joe car? Yeah. Like yes, shrink me. Yeah. I want to go play in these, you know, in my Dagobah system or, or, or the Death Star. <laughs> so, of course, as a kid, you don't realize what they're trying to imply with all of this kind of stuff. That's that's later. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, two two things real quick on that, and then we'll move on to your next uh, pick. But, uh, yeah, so it was episode 30. Go to the archives page. I, I would guess. Now, I did not go back and listen to that podcast. I told you off off air i can't stand listening to myself on a on a podcast which is weird for someone who's been doing it for so long and does so many shows but i i really don't um we had vic sage on there our friend uh from the old retro site and everything so vic sage was our guest on that episode but i would be willing for some reason i'm thinking i used galaxy glue as the closing song for the music for that podcast (laughs) i think maybe you did yeah I, i i may go back and just scrub right to the end but um, I, I like that. I think, uh, I think, yeah, email us, you know, throwback reviews at gmail.com and, uh, you know, subject could be, uh, HBO only and, and let us know that stuff. I, I kind of like that idea. That's kind of fun, but, uh, yeah. So that is it for the incredible shrinking woman. I say, if you have access to it, watch it. It's a fun movie. And, uh, yeah. So Rob, what, uh, what do you have lined up next? I've got a movie that sold me on the special effects alone. It started with the special effects, started with special effects and it ended with a short lived toy line. And in the middle you had a dude chopping off Medusa's head. (laughs) That's how's that for a segue. It is 1981's clash of the Titans. Now, uh, as a, a seven-year-old, eight-year-old kid, I couldn't care less about Greek mythology. Not interested. <laughs> I, mean, I still don't it was care. Like, <laughs> right? They're like, oh, but it's got it. It's got Zeus. Who cares? I mean, that was not a selling point uh, for me. But they were like, oh, by the way, it's full of monsters and all kinds of stuff and sword fighting. And I was like, oh boy. Now, basically. 
there's some interesting ideas in this movie that I mean I kind of picked up on as a kid uh, where you were uh, you know it's basically like the gods and of course this is kind of a theme in mythology was that the gods could see all the people on earth and they could interact with them you know so if there was somebody like they could uh, you know, if somebody showed up, a stranger, they'd be like, hey, maybe the gods just dropped them there. And in this movie, there's even, they have like miniatures of people, like little statues. And they just put, you know, Perseus where they want him to be, or they drop down little magic things. They give him a magic, uh, uh, a shield, and they give him a sword, and they give him a helmet, and they give him Ubo the Owl, which I think is, um, you know, as a kid, one of my favorite things. It's a, a talking. Uh, well, talking, it only talks to him. We can't understand him. Um, I mean, uh, this was such a, uh, uh, Bubo was like the R2-D2 of, uh, of that, that, um, movie. You know what I mean? Like it talks to somebody else. We can't understand him. Right. But, uh, uh other people can understand him. Thought I, he would, I thought was, he was the coolest thing as a kid. Uh, you know I what? Wanted, I just I wanted, up. I wanted an owl that looked like that yeah. so bad. Well, I just looked it up. They sell yeah. <laughs> uh, replicas and they are sold out. But I did see a replica of the Kraken, uh, which is about not, I mean, it's about the same size as the Bubo the Owl, which the Bubo the Owl is life size. I think it says 17 inches tall or 19 inches tall, but the Kraken is $450. So I don't know how much Bubo is, but uh, the odds of me owning one is uh, zero, but the odds of me getting one of those plastic owls that are supposed to scare away birds on my porch and spray painting it gold and just standing around it and going beep, boop, beep, boop, boop. Um, I mean, that's much higher possibility. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there's some crazy scenes of this. I remember being terrified by the um the witches what are they the stygian uh, the stygian yes, witches yeah. they're blind and they have the this eye. ball that, give me the eye and i was like give it to her so she'll shut up i'm so scared Dude, the <laughs> best know? the best part is like perseus like he, he just he's like here catch and just throws throws it at the him jerk, he just gave him all this information but i really yeah they're like give us the eye and he's just like all right here catch like what the there heck dude go. Come on, man. Right. That's kind of um, rude. I, um, so as a kid, we've talked about this on previous episodes. I was into special effects. I got hooked on special effects when I saw Star Wars. And there were two kinds of special effects. Uh, well, three kinds, I guess, uh, because you had Rick Baker who was doing the masks and that kind of stuff. But then you also had the guys that were doing stop motion uh, and making things that just couldn't be made in real life and bringing them to life. And I remember seeing monsters on the Star Wars chessboard and just being blown away. And, of course, we get even more stop motion in Empire Strikes Back. You got the AT-ATs, the Tauntauns, um, all these things that are brought to life with stop motion. And the the king of stop motion is Ray Harryhausen. As a kid, I remember... Uh, seeing the Sinbad movies and, and the fighting oh, skeletons yeah. and the monsters. It was just, uh, it was a really, like, it's so weird because I was as a kid, I was not into sports. And I remember kids going like, oh, my gosh, I like, you know, if I only had a Babe Ruth baseball card or this and that. And I was like, I want to meet Ray Harryhausen. <laughs> like, <laughs> I was kind of a weird kid, you know. Um, but Ray Harryhausen. Did all the stop motion effects. I think this is either his last or one of his last. I think it may have been the last film that he worked on. Um, but the things that he brought to life, he, he had the um, 
you know, the Pegasus, you had the Kraken, you had uh, Medusa, you had all these things, and it made me worship uh, Ray Harryhausen. Um, I, I just loved it so much. So even more so than the movie were the special effects and the monsters. Um, and a few years ago for my birthday, there's a traveling museum that goes around and it happened to come to Oklahoma city to one of our museums. And it is a, a Ray Harryhausen traveling museum. And they had all, not all, but a lot of his original miniatures and the models that he built himself that appeared in the movies. And I got to see the Kraken. I got to see the Medusa uh, and the Pegasus and those things from the movie. And I got to see Bubo the Owl. Hmm. Um, and it was just, uh, you know, being a few inches away, I mean, obviously they're under glass, you know, and protected, but just to be that close to see th those things that you grew up watching. And of course on the, on the, on the screen, you know, you're terrified of the crack and this creature that comes out of the sea and, and is going to grab the princess that they're going to sacrifice. And, and it's 50 feet tall, you know, and you're standing there looking at it and it's, you know, two feet tall and it's made out of latex rubber and it's kind of staring off at this goofy gaze, <laughs> staring off into nowhere, you know, but that, that did not keep me from uh, being afraid of it, you know, as a child. Now, the other thing, that I want to mention about Clash of the Titans is that uh, movies before the late 1970s, there was not the same kind of marketing that we saw around movies. Like you didn't have toy lines. You didn't have, I mean, you might have a doll or this or that, you know, but you didn't have big stuff. But um, <clears throat> there was this little movie called Star Wars and there was this company called Kenner and they made uh, action figures and toy sets and that made so much money. That made millions and millions and millions of dollars. And after that, every movie that came out, they were like, hey, can we make a toy line? And then, and, and also, uh, Kenner had basically normalized action figures at three and three quarter inch. So everybody, you know, before that, you might have six inch figures or 12 inch figures or whatever. But after that, everybody was like, we have to have a line of, of toys that are three and three quarter inch tall. And so uh, Mattel said, we will do the toys for this movie clash of the Titans. And they said, we're going to, uh, we're going to launch the small number of toys. And then once these sell out, cause this is going to be hotcakes, baby, <laughs> who doesn't want to play with a bunch of Greek mythology action figures. Uh, and so we're going to sell these. And once, once that sells, we're going to move to wave two and we've got all this other stuff planned. Uh, and they sold terribly. <laughs> Nobody bought them uh, except for, I know for a fact, two me. guys on this podcast that <laughs> both have Clash of the Titans toys. That would be me and you. Um, they, they had four action figures. Um, they had uh, Perseus. They had um, Aloe, who was one of the other guards. And then they had um, Calabos. And then they had the one that I think almost everybody ended up having, which was Charon, uh, who was the the guy that took them across River Styx. Yep. And you pay to put a coin in his hand. And it basically looks like the Grim Reaper. 
and I know you have one. When I came to your house, I saw yours, and I have one on the wall. Sean has his right here uh, that he's showing to me, uh, but we both have that figure. Um, I know that I it doubled for me as uh, Anakin's ghost. Uh, <laughs> <in> this, <laughs> the, uh, you know, when Darth Vader <laughs> at the end of Star Wars, when his ghost appeared, I would be like, "Oh, I got, I got Anakin's ghost." Um, and they also made uh, the Pegasus, and they made the Kraken, which I also had. That um, that's the I, only part. That's the only one I didn't have. I had all of the other figures. Oh, you did! I didn't know that. Yeah, I had all the other figures. As a matter of fact, I had Calibos up until I, the within the last twelve years, maybe, and not even probably less than that my it was at my mom's and my kids would play with them and he came home but he's gone i was trying to explain to my wife because we just actually went through my youngest's room and we were getting rid of a couple bins of toys right and there was one it was like old army men and and stuff like that but there's mix i'm digging through there you know like i'm like you're gonna throw this out until i go through or donate until i go through it and i was looking for uh calibos because i haven't been able to find him because i do have uh uh was it sharon sharon or but that's it. Like Perseus is gone. Pegasus is gone. Um, the guard guy, he's gone. He was actually my favorite, dude. I love that outfit with the like the <laughs> the helmet with the like the like horse hair trimmed up on top yeah, or whatever. Yeah. Like that, dude. He was my favorite. But um, yeah, that's that's all I have left. You know, I've looked at trying to get him, but I'm like, I just I have fortune. and I have him, and that's a, I know where it's from. My buddy Mike Alvarez, who actually you know listens to this, I think I sent him a picture of my studio, and he like, hey, you, you know, he pointed him out, like he noticed him. I'm pretty sure it was him that that said that. So, but um, yeah, I, I, and I'm gonna I'm gonna show you, and you could say who this is. It's a movie that is from 1981 that we're we're not talking about, but talking about action figures for movie lines. Can you see that? It's a Lone Ranger figure. Oh, I do see. Yeah. Yeah. From uh, the Lone Ranger that came out in 1981. Oh, and, uh, yeah. I didn't have any of those. I had a whole bunch, but he's the only one I have left is uh, the Lone Ranger. And actually, if you listen back, I mean, I have some artwork on my wall here from our good friend Christopher Tupa. I have a picture painted on a watercolor he did of uh, Luke Skywalker, the figure, right, in, in, in Tupa style. But the head is at his feet because I... And it's in a shadow box with a bunch of Star Wars heads because uh, a long time ago we talked about how I used to destroy my toys, <laughs> pop heads off. Right. So Christopher Tupa had made me that painting years ago. And uh, I don't know if you probably can't tell with this Lone Ranger figure, but he uh, was an outlaw that didn't make it because he has got a noose around his neck <laughs> and it's still there. <laughs> so, yeah. Just, just, and I only, he, he could be escorted by Caron across the uh, river stage. Yeah, right. <laughs> but uh, I, I only bring that up because it, it is a 1981 movie. And like you said, these movies all wanted to have their own uh, their own figures. Yeah. If you look, if you go online, uh, if you look up Clash of the Titans, especially if you look for Wave 2, uh, there was a play set of like the... Um, um, I think it was like the, the kind of the stadium, you know, where they would go fight and there were all these other toys and stuff that were playing and they never made them because, uh, basically what they said is that the toys only sold while the movie was in theaters. So it was in theaters for a month and when it went away, nobody bought the toys. I will tell you that in my lunchbox collection, I have a clash of the Titans lunchbox. Really? 
yes. Now I don't. Uh, I, it's not one that I had as a kid, and um, uh, I, I just um, feel like uh, I don't. You know, I was pretty uh, immune—not immune, but just um, ignorant of of certain things as a kid. So I would not have thought twice about carrying around a lunchbox with a, you know, a well-oiled muscly dude on it with no <laughs> shirt and just been like, yeah, man, it's my dude. It's Perseus. Uh, but, uh, in retrospect, I, I mean, it's just a somehow luckily, uh, a, a sword that I missed yeah. <laughs> taking, you know, but yeah, Clash of the Titans. I mean, cool movie, <laughs> cool special effects, uh, good, good stuff. Uh, I, I don't really know what the plot of the movie is. Uh, I mean, I kind of do, you know, I mean, Perseus goes down and, and he gets all this stuff and he's got to go on these missions. You know, what what it boils go. down to is one person fucks up and the whole village has to pay for it. Right. Zeus, yeah, yeah, Zeus basically. wants to, Zeus wants to, you know, bang some human and now she's having a child. Well, Okay. You got to put her out to sea in the baby, but he's like, that ain't happening. I'm going to save him. But, uh, the, you know, the father, okay, we're going to kill everybody. And the same with Calabos, right? Like Calabos had basically, what, hunted all of the Pegasus. There was like one Pegasus left because he was killing everything and destroying it. So they're like, okay, everyone's going to be, you know, you got to screw everybody over. It's just these gods, you know, these Greek gods. It's it's all oh. powerful and everything. But um, well said. One thing that I would take away from this movie is that when I was in, uh, I don't remember if it was fifth or sixth grade, I think it was sixth grade, we did a, a course on mythology, and I remember that the teacher had these handouts that looked like they're from a coloring book, like they're a line drawing, you know, and she would give us ones and you'd have to color it or something, and, and they would tell us about them, and it was like... Um, Zeus and Andromeda and I, and I was like I know these people <laughs> they were from Clash of the Titans I was like this is so awesome I'm gonna go give me a lunchbox with a dude on it <laughs> um, you, you know you're talking about like the crack being afraid of kids the only thing I remember as a kid the only thing that really creeped me out was well two things the witches they kind of creeped me out because they're witches and they were scary but uh calabos like he's the th he was the thing in this yeah. movie that creeped the heck out of me as a kid was calabos you know and then i <laughs> i watched it the other day and i was like i was, I was scared of that like what the heck i know you know and um <laughs> it it's it's easy to slag um special effects in movies from this era you know but calabos is Half the time, a really cool-looking stop-motion dude. And then they go to this close-up of this guy that's in makeup, and you're like, good boy. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't flow well between the two different models of Calibos. Yeah. So real quick, and then we're going to move on to uh, my, your, my, your next pick. We'll explain that. But um, I don't know if you said I, I saw this in the movie theater. What about you? I, you know what? I don't remember. I just don't remember. I don't have any memory of seeing it at a theater. Um, maybe we did because we went to the movies a lot. You know, you mentioned this, you touched on this before, but I mean, there were all the theaters around me. Like I remember, like if you went before six o'clock and on the weekends, they were like a dollar or dollar fifty or something. So um, it was not. A, I mean, we went to the movies a ton. So um, it's definitely possible. I just don't. I don't remember. Just, uh, you know, sometimes they, they stand out to me and some I'm kind of questionable, mm. but definitely knew I, I had seen this and Time Bandits, <clears throat> excuse me, in the uh, in the theater. 
and I believe as well as that. See, this next one, I'm, I'm pretty sure I did see it in the theater, but I could be wrong. I, I did actually, I did because I can remember now the opening, the opening credits to this movie. I actually have a question to you before we even really name what it is. What is a BSC? I don't really know. <laughs> do you know what I'm referencing? I do know. <laughs> okay. That's why uh, I, I tried to answer it in Kermit's voice. Okay. <laughs> so uh, that is from the opening credits when they're reading them as they're floating in, in the balloon. Uh, this is the great Muppet caper. Every time I say a movie, I want to say from 1981. Of course it is because we're doing 1981. But you just naturally, when you do these as podcasts, you always say, yeah, uh, you know, great Muppet caper 1981. But yes, this is the great Muppet caper. So the reason I said my pick, your pick, mine, yours, mine was you and I had had a conversation a few weeks ago. And I don't even remember how the heck we got onto that conversation. Um, maybe it was leading up to this, but I, I don't feel like it was, but you had told me how you felt about this movie. And then when I brought this movie up for this podcast episode, I was like, <laughs> I can't remember if you told me this or if, if you said you liked it or if you said you hated it. I can't really remember um, if you liked it. Then if you want to take it, that's fine. I don't want to step on your toes, but I know it's an extreme of either liking it or hating it. So so why what did I say to you? <laughs> you were offended that I would question that and that you actually loved this movie. Uh, but seeing how you brought one extra movie than I did, you let me have have this one to introduce. But we both equally love this movie. Actually, I, I, I don't mean equally because it is not my favorite Muppet movie, which it is, I believe, your favorite Muppet movie. Uh, the original is my favorite, but I do like this one. If I were rating Muppet movies, I would put, uh, I mean, maybe if I, I would, and it, it really could depend on the day. I mean, I would almost say it's tied, like the first two are tied. And then there's just a huge drop off for me of all the other movies. What, what's uh, after this? Uh, Take Manhattan? I mean, let's say this is a, let's say on some days this is a 10 and the first one is a 9.5. And then some days those would alter, right? 9.5. Muppets Take Manhattan is a solid three for me. I mean, it's such a drop um, for those movies. That Muppet Christmas Carol is okay. I like that one all right. Um, was the Muppet Treasure Island? Yes. Is with, that one? Yeah, with, um, oh, God. I know. Oh, my God. Michael. No. Michael Caine? No. no, no, that's the Christmas Carol. Okay, so oh. again, my buddy Mike Alvarez and uh, well, and his his co-host Susie, who's listened to this too, are probably freaking out right now. It's the it dude, um, and it's oh, oh my god, oh. <laughs> original. <laughs> oh my god, we suck so bad. Tim Curry. Oh, you mean Tim Curry? Yeah. Hey. Oh yeah. Okay, I got it first. <laughs> um. <laughs> And I think some of it is, oh, and then there was the one that I really wanted to like, the one where Gonzo was like the Muppets from space or something. I don't even think Remember I've seen that? that. Yeah. Yeah, I just started aging out of that's, it. You know yeah, what I, I was going to say, that's, that's 1999. Like, I, yeah. Muppets weren't what was on my mind at that point in 99. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Like, it just, nope. Um, let's see. Great Muppet Caper. Uh I mean, you start off with this great song, you know, everybody but uh, and me, you know, and and uh, it's a big song and dance kind of thing. You know, the one of the things I would say, 
in the, in the defense of the first movie um, is that I think the songs overall are better in the first movie. I mean, this one just has some like Broadway kind of numbers that not all the songs are great. I will say Happiness Hotel is one of my favorite Muppet songs. Um, I will say that um, uh, there's a, a line... You know, and this is a sign to me of a good movie when they have a line that sticks with you like for your whole life. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Um, and um, my wife and I do this joke all the time. Uh, whenever we'll go somewhere, like a hotel, and of course when the Muppets check into uh, uh, the, the Happiness Hotel, the innkeeper, he says, how will you be paying? <laughs> it's it's A, cash, E, credit card, or C, sneak out in the middle of the night. And he says, we'll take C. And then he says, very popular choice. <laughs> <laughs> we say that all the time. <laughs> we'll just, we'll be in a store or something, you know, or I'll, I'll just like, I mean, at, at dinner and I'll order something. I'll be like, I think I'll have the breadsticks. My wife will go, very popular choice. <laughs> I mean, we do that line all the time. Um, you know, this movie is a, a, I mean, all the Muppet movies are ridiculous. This has a, this ridiculous setup that somehow Fozzie and Kermit are twins. Yeah. (laughs) And that they keep, keep confusing them, you know? Um, I think the opening scene, like you talked about in the opening credits where they're in the hot air balloon, um, it's like in the first 10 seconds they establish who's who, uh, because Fozzie Bear is like. I'm afraid of, I wouldn't want to fall from this height. Uh, and then Gonzo says something like, um, I, I've always wanted to try to leap from this height. Or I've always wanted to try this, but without a parachute or a balloon. And Kermit goes, what, plummeting? Mm-hmm. <laughs> he goes, yeah. And then Kermit goes, well, don't do that because we got to make a movie. you know. And so it's just like they're three personalities. Like Fozzie's kind of a comedy, but he's also afraid. And Gonzo is a nut. And Kermit is the guy that's just kind of holding everything together. He's the middle of the guy, you know, middle of the road guy. And then he meets Miss Piggy. And there's another part of this movie, which is literally one of my favorite parts of any movie. Uh, you know, a few years ago when I went back and I was doing my degree for writing and they were talking about different parts of a movie and there's the part of the movie that's, uh, or of a movie or a book or whatever, that's exposition and exposition is just where you have to explain literally just explain, you know, two characters are talking and you're like, well, here's the background. This house is haunted and it was haunted in 1950, you know, but you got to explain, you got to tell the audience part of the story. And movies have different ways of, of hiding that. And some are better than others. You know, you'll, sometimes you'll watch a movie and a character will just talk for five minutes explaining you exactly what's going on. You're like, this is terrible. They're just telling us the movie and a really bad, um, uh, part of, uh, or form of exposition. But anyway, there's this part in this movie where when Miss Piggy, she, she, um, goes to Lady Holiday, she tries to get a job and Lady Holiday says, well, I'm glad you're working here because I've got this diamond and my brother's trying to steal it and this and this and that. And she tells you what's going on in the movie. Yes. And she says, why are you telling me all this? And she says, well, it's exposition. It has to go somewhere. <laughs> and it just cracks me up because that's exactly what it is. Mm-hmm. And then when you know that, you know, it's just such a, such a funny thing. There's so many uh, funny lines in this movie. There's so much funny stuff going on. Um, I, I want you to 
tell me your thoughts about uh, the great Muppet caper. And then, uh, and I have a, a simple trivia question for you. Oh, see, I don't, I don't like it when you do this to me. It makes, <laughs> it makes me nervous. It doesn't matter so. what your answer will be, by the way. <laughs> All right. Um, it, you know what? It's just wholesome, good, wholesome fun. It makes me feel like a kid when I'm watching it. And, uh, you know, it's that thing like the Muppet Show where you had you always have these you know you got John Cleese you got Charles Grodin in it which we we saw in The Incredible Shrinking Woman Peter Ustinov which I'm like I know him from somewhere and it was Blackbeard's Ghost a Disney movie but mm-hmm. you know it's just these familiar characters from as being a kid and John Cleese at the dinner scene <laughs> yeah you know and I like how they had him uh, you know they were supposed to be, you know at this time he's not. You know he's older now, but they had him with the you know they had his hair frosted and his and his mustache frosted like he was supposed to be an old man type of thing. This couple that has you know the hasn't left the house, but it's it's just <laughs> it is Muppet humor, right? Where Kermit's gullible and and uh, you know believes everything like with Miss Piggy and um, it, I mean really. I think especially for this age, it didn't even matter what the, what it was about. You know, it, it didn't. I just love that it. it makes it just reminds me of being a kid, the Muppets. So I, I but like the older ones, like you're saying, I'm, I have no attachment to them. But the music, I like the music in this. I do remember. Uh, so when they were at the bar and uh, they were going to I think it was when they were setting up to do the heist. Right. And um mm-hmm. It so reminds me of Temple of Doom when they're at uh, Club Obi Wan, and uh, what's her name, Billy, or was that her name, Billy, in Temple of Doom? What was her name? Mm-hmm. Singing her song, like oh yeah, yeah. Dude, that place looks like to me. Maybe I'm completely wrong, but it. I was just like, is this the same soundstage? Like, is this the same set that they used? But <laughs> uh, I mean, I don't think Temple of Doom came out to what eighty four or something like that. Eighty five, eighty four. So four, yeah, four. I think yeah. yeah. Just warm and fuzzy, man. It didn't really matter. But, I mean, it is very obvious what's going on. It's not like, you know, even as a kid, it was pretty easy to follow along. Maybe it's because, you know, Lady Holiday explained it to us. But, you know, as a kid, it's a lot easier to follow than Clash of the Titans and, and, That's true. and Time Bandits, right? And uh, and even if it's not, it's like it's all these characters that we see on Sunday nights, you know? So Right. Yeah. Um, you know, one, one thing that I like about all Muppet movies is that it's never a part of the joke is never that they're Muppets. They're always treated like real. Right. Characters. Yes. You know, like it's Kermit the Frog. It's not Kermit the Muppet. Like they never go, hey, who's controlling me or anything like like it's always, you know, it is played. And so you've got that part of it. And then but on the other hand, you know, and again, this is my my kid's special effects brain, but. Uh, they really up the ante in this film. Uh, I mean, in the opening shot, you know, there's a like there or the opening sequence, the uh, everybody and, uh, and me. Uh, there's a part where Gonzo gets hit by a car and he goes flying, and then he's laying on the street, and then they zoom in on it, and he's on the street, and he sits up and he's like, "I'm okay," you know, that sort of thing. And then I remember thinking, like, they have made a fake street and they've put a hole through it where someone could reach up and and control. Gonzo, you know what I mean? So, yeah. so there's all these parts where you go, how did they do that? You know, and that, and of course that's part of the behind the scenes magic and they don't always show you that, you know, which I think is kind of neat. It's kind of, it kind of keeps that magic. Like they are real characters. And I do remember being blown away as a kid 
uh, with the scene where Kermit and Miss Piggy and eventually all the Muppets go on a bicycle ride. Mm-hmm. And of course, there's close up shots and then there's medium and there's far away shots. But I mean, there are shots where there are 10 different bicycles with Muppets on them and they're pedaling and they're, you know, you can't see anybody. You know, there's got to be strings or something, you know, holding these things up. But it, it's just this magical kind of thing where. It works on multiple levels, you know, because I mean, it's part of the, the movie and they're, they're out for a a bike ride and all that. But then as an adult, you're just like, how did they do this without, there's no CGI. There's no, you know, uh, so, um, yeah, it's just, a uh, they they just always maintain the illusion. Yeah. And that's, Um, that's the, that's the beauty of, you know, Henson and everybody, everyone he worked with, you know, in the puppeteers that he worked with for years, they just had it nailed down, man. They just, yeah, you didn't, you never questioned like, why are they talking to a pig? Why is there a pig, you know, swimming in love with a, yeah, (laughs) in love with a frog and and then swimming in a, in a pool in a, as a, in a pageant. Like you don't question, you don't question (laughs) it. Why is she coming out of the water and her hair is dry with sparklers going like as a kid, whatever. (laughs) Now, Speaking of the scene with the Muppets on the bicycles, and don't think about this too hard, but I'm going to list four scenes, and I want you to tell me what they all have in common. Number one is the Muppets where they're all riding on bicycles. The second scene would be the one we talked about where we have the Muppets in the hot air balloon. Uh, The third scene is the one from the Happiness Hotel where all the Muppets are singing and dancing. And the fourth one is towards the end when Miss Piggy smashes through the stained glass window on her motorcycle. And lands on Charles Grodin. Lands on Charles Grodin. Do you know what those four scenes have in common? They're all, they all got Muppets in them scenes. (laughs) Close. They were all immortalized. On McDonald's drinking glasses. Oh, okay. McDonald's. Like like the one I just showed you? Like the one you just held up and the ones that I have up here. Uh, McDonald's in 1981 released this set of the Great Muppet Caper drinking glasses. I think you could get them for 49 cents or maybe 99 cents when you went to the store. Um. You know, I go to thrift stores, I go to antique malls, and you'll see Smurf glasses, you'll see Garfield glasses, Uh, some of them are more, if you see a Star Wars one or a Star Trek, those are always more expensive, but there is seemingly no value (laughs) to Great Muppet Caper glasses. I see these for $2 still to this day, $2 to $3. Uh, and I have a complete set of all four of them. And not only do I have the uh, four of them, but I have more than four. So I have four up on the shelf, immortalized in my shelf of, of collectible drinking glasses. But the rest of them are in regular rotation. I've said it before and I'll say it again. I am not afraid of lead poisoning <laughs> from these glasses. I will maintain, maintain. I mean, I've said, again, I, I've said this, but. Uh, if I die, I think that would be a funny thing to put on my tombstone. Just put died from lead poisoning from a great Muppet caper glass. I'm okay with being immortalized in that way. Um, but I, I do drink out of those glasses to this day. Um, I, I just enjoy it. You know what I mean? It makes so you me don't care that someone possibly pooped in them glasses. I don't think. See, the thing is, these are see-through. I don't think somebody would poop in a see-through glass. Really? I think that's, that's yeah. that is a really weird look on 
what type of glass someone will poop in. Like if I'm in a room and I need nope. to go poop and there's no bathroom and it's a matter of either being in my in my underwear or in that or in that Muppet caper see-through glass, guess where it's going? But I think if you had the option between that and like a thermos or maybe a plastic cup you couldn't see through because you don't want to see through it. You don't want to look at it. But I think the, I think the glass one's going to be safe. That's what I feel like. Oh, I, I just love your goes, logic. Something goes terribly wrong. Maybe you, you lose your balance. You know, a thermos is not going to break and cut your booty. <laughs> you don't want to go to the emergency room and be like, what happened? You're like, I'm trying to poop in a great bumping caper glass and I fell and it broke and I got cut. And also, can you fix this glass? Because this is a great scene where they're riding bicycles. <laughs> so I have the... Um... The Happiness Hotel glass. That's the only one I have. And to be oh, honest, yeah. like, I, and I'm looking at them on Amazon or on uh, eBay, um, mm-hmm. which is weird. That's even a thing anymore. But um, so you can get all four for forty bucks plus twelve dollars shipping. I would buy these. More, I would buy the other three if I were to see them, like in an antique. Like that's where I got this was at an antique store. But I'm gonna be a hundred percent honest with you. I don't recall. Having I had the only reason I bought the Happiness Hotel one is because I had it as a kid. I don't. Oh, yeah. I'm looking at the other three. I did not have those glasses. I, I, they I think don't. That for some reason, I don't know why, but I do see the Happiness Hotel one more than I see the others for sure. I mean, you can buy. I think it looks. I think there was a lot of four of those. There's a lot of two. Like I don't need two. I don't need four. Like you can buy a lot of the the Miss Piggy ones for thirty bucks for for four of them. Why I don't. I'm, what well, am I gonna? One, what, am I gonna poop in one and drink out of the other? One to drink out of, and one to poop, <laughs> and never the two shall cross. Let's hope. <laughs> so, um, but well, yeah, it's good that you could see through them, and that you would know which one it was that you used. Because if it was a thermos, you might, you know, right? Uh, Does this one have ice in it or poop? <laughs> yeah. So, I, I mean, like I said, if I'm out in an antique store, I might, I might buy the Miss Piggy one because it is kind of cool the way it says Miss Piggy and like a stained glass look. It's mm-hmm. pretty cool. Um, the other two, not that I don't like them, but like, you know, in my studio here, I'm kind of limited on space and shelf space. So I, I probably would pass, but this one, when I saw it, I was like, Oh no, I gotta, I gotta get that. Like I had that happiness with Like I remember drinking homemade milkshakes out of that thing. Oh, there are bugs and there are mice. <laughs> I love that. I love the whole song. <laughs> also, that's the song where we, the first, I think that's the first could be wrong but i think that's the first introduction of rizzo the rat that that's what i was thinking today yeah i don't think we ever saw him he's definitely not in the first movie and it comes out you should see the chambermaids mm-hmm. <laughs> there's so many funny one-liners in that I, we could do a whole show on that one but we got caught red-handed on. what color are his hands now <laughs> also you know what there's there's also uh that dopey movie logic where when somebody's developing a picture and then you go, we caught the crook red-handed. And then you turn on the light and you go, oh, no, we ruined the photo. But the thing is, the negative's not ruined, so you can just make another one. Right. It's not, it's not like a, it's not permanent, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, that is definitely, uh, I'm glad we talked about that. I like that movie. That's, that's a good movie. Uh, so, all right, so let's move on to uh, the last two are, were actually uh, your picks. Why don't you introduce the uh, next one? Well, the first one uh, that, that I had on my list here was, uh, this is another HBO special. Again, uh, if you can come up with a name for us, you can email us at throwbackreviews at gmail.com. 
But uh, we're looking for a, a phrase for these movies that uh, no, we we're didn't not see in the theater. We're not, no, I huh? I just said it. Oh, you okay? I thought you were saying because we did. We're going with HBO only. I already said like subject uh, title. HBO only. HBO, I think it's HB, HBO only. HBO only. Yeah, but if you got a better one, you can email us and we'll, no, we'll you take can't. it into consideration. I'm, I answer the email, so I'm telling you, it's HBO only. <laughs> if it says anything other than HBO only, I'm not answering it. <laughs> right, in the, right in the spam bin. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is an HBO only uh, for sure. I never heard about this in the theater. I only saw it on HBO. This was uh, a parody of horror movies. Of course, horror movies were big. And uh, they, they made a comeback in the late 70s, early 80s. You had Halloween. You had Friday the 13th. Then you had uh, exactly 1.8 million other horror movies that came out and dominated the early uh, 80s. And uh, so they came out with a, a parody idea. Now, uh, the name of this movie uh, will tell you what it's parodying. And it's not Friday the 13th. This was Saturday the 14th. <laughs> Surprisingly, it takes place the day after Friday the 13th. Now, there is a trivia fact um, <clears throat> that Paramount, at the same time, was working on a parody horror movie of their own, uh, and it was supposed to be called Thursday the 12th. And so <laughs> they were working on their own horror movie, and uh, so they cut their production short to basically beat them to the box office, which might explain why there's some things in this movie that aren't completely fleshed out. But this is Saturday the 14th. Um, I think there's uh, you know some basic plot. I mean, it is more or less the plot, uh, not more or less, but uh, there's some plot ideas here from... Uh, the Evil Dead, uh, this is uh, a family, and they inherit a house that may or may not be haunted. And then when they get to the house, there's, of course, these other monsters, uh, you know, vampires that were also trying to get into the house because it has this book. And the book contains uh, other monsters that get unleashed. Uh, the plot to this movie doesn't really matter. It's a family that moves into a haunted house, and there are monsters, and there are kind of silly monster scenes uh and some scenes that parody uh other scenes like that i did like that it takes place in erie pennsylvania because of course it does um uh, th there's a couple things I'll, I'll mention later on uh i rewatched this movie over the past couple of days i was surprised how much it reminded me of beetlejuice even though this really predates Beetlejuice, but the idea of having the other two people live in the house and them living in the house and wanting to stay in the house, but <clears throat> there being monsters and stuff like that. So um, I don't know. What, what did you think about Saturday the 14th? I got goosebumps. It seemed like goosebumps. The music seemed like goosebumps or what was that show? I, I don't know. I think it was an 80s show. Um, not scary stories, but um crap it was like an anthology show but it reminded me of that amazing like, stories amazing stories i think yeah where it's just the music reminds me of like that kind of show the music mm -hmm. was real weird um the acting in this was horrendous <laughs> it yes. was but i did watch this as a kid multiple times on like you said on hbo but watching it now as an adult i was just like this is awful <laughs> This is awful. <laughs> this movie is awful. This is totally for a kid in the 80s. Like a kid now would probably would be like, what the heck? But it, this is an 80s kids movie, 100%, man. Like as an adult watching this, I was like, all right, if this wasn't for the podcast, I'd be turning this shit off. Like I wouldn't have watched the whole thing. <laughs> Not great. 
it wasn't great. Like I said, I, I watched it for the podcast. Now, when you put it on your list, I was like, oh, I, same thing. I remember that movie. Oh, my God. I watched it so much on HBO. And then I rewatched it. That's You know what I mean? It's, so if, yeah, if, if, if you were asking me without a rewatch, I'd be like, dude, this movie's freaking awesome. I loved it as a kid. Yes. So I remembered uh, Cannibal Run as having a lot more racing. And then when I rewatched it, I was like, oh, there's not as mm-hmm. much racing in it. I misremembered. Um, a time bandits is having a lot more of the, of the bandits, you know, in, in the, the time traveling part, not so much in the, you know, the middle ages and stuff like that. Uh, I remember this movie as being good. <laughs> and then when I watched it, I was like, huh? Yeah. I, re- I remember this being funnier. I remember it being, uh, scarier. I remember it being better <laughs> to be frank. Uh, uh, I, I wanted to love it because I, I do remember watching it a lot as a kid. Um, I So this is one thing that I did think was funny is obviously it's a parody of horror movies of the time, right? So it's a, but, but not a direct parody. Uh, like it's Friday the 13th, but I mean, there's no, they're not at a camp. There's not a, Jason is not there. So it's not really a parody of that right and then you go halloween and it's not really a parody of how so it's a parody i guess of the horror genre it's not really a parody of those movies of that era right but there were two scenes or two things that i was like oh this is referencing another movie and the first one is that the address whenever they mention the address of the house and it's 329 elm street and i was like oh, okay that's that's on the nose and the second thing was when she's in the bathtub and then the monster is coming up from the bathtub, right? Like between her legs. Uh And I thought, oh, it's just like Freddy's glove in the original Nightmare on Elm Street. But then I was like, wait a minute. This movie came out in 1981 and the first Nightmare on Elm Street didn't come out until 1984. So this is three years before Nightmare on Elm Street. There is no Nightmare on Elm Street when this movie came out. So I guess those are both just coincidences. Uh, I mean, the fact that it's on Elm Street, there is no nightmare on Elm Street at this point. Uh, and then the scene in the bathtub, I mean, I don't think either this movie or Nightmare on Elm Street invented that idea of something coming out of the bathtub. But, but I just thought that was a weird coincidence. And I, I, when I was watching those, I was like, oh, this is Nightmare on Elm Street. And then I was like, oh, wait, no, it can't be. Nightmare on Elm Street's later than this. I liked, I liked the, the play between Jeffrey Tambor and uh, his wife in the movie. You know how he yes. he had the you know he clearly had the the hots for uh, for Mary and his <laughs> and his vampire wife. I think it was his wife, or supposed to be his wife, or whatever. But like she yeah. was she was on to him. You know what I mean? Um, plus, you know Jeffrey Tambor is is you know you you think of because uh, I, I thought this was supposed to be like for um, like old older horror type movies like Dracula yeah, and the like creature from Universal the black lagoon kind of stuff, sure. yeah 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 so i you know you think of those movies and you think of dracula being this you know you know this handsome and uh you know attractive like where you know what i mean and <laughs> jeffrey tambor is not and i think that's that's the the, the comedy of it right is like all right mm-hmm. so we have this this guy that women are, you know, like, you know, ooh, if drag, they don't know he's they're, he's gonna, you know, eat them or whatever, bite their necks. But, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, Drake is portrayed as to to be this very uh, handsome, sexual kind of guy, and then you got 
you you put Jeffrey Tambor in, <laughs> in that. I just thought that was funny. And he's a funny actor anyways. Um, I thought Richard Benjamin in this was, I, to be honest, I, I mean, I have to click on his IMDb, but this is really all I remember him from. And I thinking back as a kid, I thought it was like super funny in this, but no, he, the, the parents were just kind well, of. So a couple of years before this, he was the uh, star of Vampire in Love at First Bite which was the comedy Dracula movie. Um, and so, so I wondered if they were like trying to almost like Leslie Nielsen. Right? Oh like, my God. I just clicked at the, I, holy crap. I forgot about this movie with yeah, George Hamilton. So, yeah, exactly. So, you know, like the Les, like Leslie Nielsen, like, okay, after airplane, like or naked gun. And then you're like, Hey, if you got to have a straight face guy, that's gonna, you know, um, I mean, he was in some of the Scream movies. You know what I mean? Like, it's yeah. like he's typecast as that kind of role. So I was wondering if they were trying to do that by getting, you know, it's like, okay, here's a guy that was in a comedy Dracula movie a couple of years earlier, and then to use him again in this. But, gotcha. uh, but I mean, he's not, yeah, he's a straight, he's the straight man in this. You know, he's the oblivious dad that doesn't know what's going on. So. Right. Yeah. Okay. Well, it has a great twist to the end of the movie, folks. So if you're looking for... You know, a movie with a great twist at the end. Check out Saturday the 14th. This movie was so popular, and by that I mean, I don't know how this happened. At eight years later, I believe, uh, they made a sequel. Mm-hmm. And there's a sequel to this called uh, Saturday the 14th uh, Strikes Back. And uh, you think, I mean, in, in a best-case scenario, you get all the people to come back for your sequel. But in a worst-case scenario, you only get a couple, right, to return. Uh, but in Saturday the 14th, Strikes Back, they got nobody. <laughs> nobody from the original movie is in it. I think maybe the writer or the director went back and and, and worked on the sequel. But none of the actors, uh, nobody came back. And um, unbelievably, it's worse than this one. So. <laughs> yeah i i don't know if that's a sell <laughs> i don't think i ever saw it to be quite honest with you anyways uh i think we're on to uh our last movie right 1981 we got horror movies we got um crazy monster movies we got a lot of different types of, of genre movies uh this is a horror movie that uh, neither of us had any business watching in 1981 I did not see this in the theater because I was way too young to watch this movie, uh, but I did watch it a lot on HBO. Mm. Uh, and this movie uh, was a a new version of werewolves. I int- introduced the concept of werewolves to me. I only knew werewolves from the old black and white movies, which I got to tell you, it looked pretty dumb. Uh, it was not scary to me at all, but the werewolf in this movie was terrifying. This was again, 1981, an American werewolf in London. I saw this on HBO, uh, probably not in 81 or 82, uh, but definitely when I was a child, definitely I was young enough that this movie gave me nightmares. Uh, it is about two Americans that are, uh, traveling overseas. They're hitchhiking across the UK. I believe they're in Yorkshire and uh, everyone keeps giving them advice, which is uh, don't go out in the full moon and stay on the road. And then they decide to do the exact opposite and they go out during the full moon and they wander off the road uh, and they are attacked 
by a werewolf who kills one of the two characters that we've just met and mauls the second one. Now, the uh, townspeople that warned them, uh, the members of the local pub uh, who warned them not to go out, they arrive at the nick of time and they shoot and kill the werewolf. Uh, but so as the uh, uh, David, the main character, uh, right before he passes out from his injuries, he looks over and the wolf that attacked him is no longer a wolf. It's just a naked guy uh, that's been shot a lot of times. And so um, this movie is part horror movie. Um, and it's also part black comedy. Um, it, it's a strange combination uh, because the horror, usually when you get a combination of something like, you know, um, a comedy, but that's also a drama, like, like neither one is, is, um, very strong. You know what I mean? It's not like, it's kind of like the comedy's not great or the mm -hmm. action's not great or whatever. Uh, but this one has the dial turned up to 10. I mean, the horror is horror, you know, when the werewolf is attacking, this is a scary horror movie. And then the black comedy, like when his dead friend keeps appearing and showing up and, and, you know, at one point, um, David knows he's going to turn into a werewolf and, uh, you know, he starts talking about ways that he could kill himself and prevent that from happening. He wants to end his life so that he won't hurt other people in the werewolf form and other victims that he, that have died along the way show up and they're, you know, suggesting ways that he could die and stuff. I mean, so it is kind of a black comedy um, I, I love the I love how through the movie Jack, his friend who gets killed, progressively gets more decaying. Right, as, right. As, it goes, as he comes to visit him every time, you know, he he just looks worse and worse. I thought that was kind of that was that was funny. This, yeah. yeah. I was just gonna say this is definitely not a movie. I did not see this one in theaters. As a matter of fact, I don't. I didn't see this probably for a few years later. Um, Actually, a lot later. I had seen scenes, and uh, I don't. I, I mean, I really. I don't think I watched it in full until I was an adult back in 2018 when Nicole and I, my wife and I, oh, did, wow. did this as an episode for the Horrified Chicken podcast. Um, that was 2018. I haven't watched it again. It's, you know, it was good. It was. It was definitely. It was good. I'm pretty sure I said it was good in the podcast. <laughs> I forget, man. Um, but it it was a good movie. But yeah, as a kid. I think the only scene I remember was when those like lizard men came out with the Uzis where he's having that like nightmare dream or whatever. Oh yeah. But I had scared yeah. the crap out of me. I, I think my brother was watching it and I came downstairs and I was like, uh, uh, see ya <laughs> gone up the stairs. I was like, I'm not having this man because yeah. my brother is it's, as kids. My brother would watch horror movies and get really scared. And then like, be like, Sean, you know that kind of thing but he would and i'm like why are you doing this to yourself like i never understood even as an adult i mean i, I don't really love watching horror movies i do it because i do a podcast with my wife but um mm -hmm. no i just i remember seeing that scene freaking terrified me as a kid and i was like no like, yeah and it's a it's the trick the old um double nightmare trick where it's a, a nightmare scene and then he wakes up and then something else happens that he wakes up a second time it's yeah. a thing where they're messing messing with your reality um this movie was written and directed by john landis whose work we have discussed on the podcast before he directed animal house 
Uh, he did the Blues Brothers. He did uh, Three Amigos, uh, Trading Places, Coming to America. So John Landis has done lots and lots of movies. Um, but this movie is directly responsible for the video to Michael Jackson's Thriller. So there were, I believe, I believe the Howling is the same year as this. Howling is also 1981. So you got two competing vamp or uh, uh, werewolf movies, and uh, the Howling is a uh, terrible. I mean, not terrible. Not terrible isn't bad. It's it's a, a horrifying movie, and the Howling is a great horror movie. But when people walked away from this movie, the scene everybody was talking about is the werewolf transformation. Mm-hmm. There's a scene where David. Uh, in front of our eyes on camera turns into a werewolf. And I believe they said uh, in the script, it said he is going to turn into a werewolf and it's going to be painful. Uh, And we see that. We see the bones stretching. We see him writhing in agony. We see his face stretch out into a snout. We see the ears grow. Uh, it is an amazing display of practical special effects. It, it was incredible at the time, and it is 100% the work of Rick Baker, who I said we would be coming mm-hmm. back to. Rick Baker did this transformation. Uh, I believe he won uh, an award for it for his work on the special effects. Uh, but not only did he do this, but when Michael Jackson, a couple of years later, in Thriller, Michael Jackson said, I want the guy who directed that movie, and I want the guy who did those special effects. So he hired um, John Landis, and John Landis directed the video for Thriller, and John Landis brought Rick Baker, and Rick Baker did all the werewolf special effects when Michael Jackson turns into the werewolf. And one of the big things that Michael Jackson said was, I want to have those same contacts because in the American werewolf in London, you know, when he turns into that werewolf and we see that scene and he's got those yellow contact eyes, which is such a creepy thing. Um, and so you get that in thriller. So basically thriller. I mean, when Michael Jackson saw this, he was like, I want to do a video and I basically want to do, I want to be an American werewolf in London, you know? And, and we, and, in, and of course in thriller, we see the same, very similar, the transformation. We see his arm stretch out, you know, and, and we see him turn into the, the werewolf as well. But that's that's all Rick Baker. So, yeah, this was um, a scary movie. Like I said, black comedy. There's a lot going on. There's a, a love interest thing. Uh, I, I want to hear anything else you want to say about it, and then I'm going to spoil the ending. So um, go ahead. No, just talking about that transformation. I mean, watching it now back in 81 still looks awesome. Like I remember when Nicole and I watched it, it was like, wow, that's that's some good stuff. But um, um it, actually, I didn't meet David Naughton, um, but I got to stare at him for a while. Uh, <laughs> I, I forget. I think it was 2018 maybe or 2019. My wife did... Uh, she did a horror convention here in Buffalo, and uh, it was like a comic con. And in the, in the first floor of the you know, there was the uh, where the horror convention part of it was at, 
And so she was there because of her artwork. And he was like to our right. And I could just see him there, you know. And so, oh. I mean, I'm not like I'm not going to go talk to him. I mean, um, I, I think I knew him more from like Midnight Madness and the Dr. Pepper commercials or whatever. I mean, I knew him from this movie, too. But um, but it was just weird because I'm why. So here we have a place called Tim Hortons. And but I know it's not a national thing, but I think everyone knows Dunkin Donuts and you could get the. uh I think they call them munchkins, right? The little donut balls or whatever. And here in Buffalo, we've got Tim Hortons. They got Timbits. And I, I remember for some <laughs> reason, I'd go to my wife and be like, he just ate another one. And I, I just, I couldn't stop watching him eating these donuts. I don't know. It was like this, this part, it was like this part of me going like, like, dude, what are you doing? You can't be shoving freaking donuts in your face. You're an actor. Come on. Like, that's how I felt. I mean, the guy's hungry. He's in Buffalo doing a comic con. What do you want? He wants a donut. I'm like, he just, he just ate another. Even werewolves like Timbits. He just ate another Timbit. Jesus Christ, dude. That's like. It's like his eighth one, and he put one in before he even swallowed the last one. What a pig! Come on, dude. Can we can we agree that it's better than eating people? Yeah, I guess. I mean, yeah, would have been a little more entertaining, but yeah. So that was my David Daughton uh, experience yeah, live in uh, in the flesh and blood. Movies today are not made and written in the same way that movies in the seventies and eighties were made. Um, there are just things uh, we've talked about it. We've referenced it. There are things you can't do in movies today that they did in the in the seventies and eighties. There's stereotypes. There's language and things like that that just wouldn't fly today. Um, but, but one of the things that audiences I think expect now is um, you know that denouement at the end where like there's the climax and then you got to have the five minute lighthearted scene at the end. You got to have hey man everything's okay. You know. We're going to be all right. We're going to be, you know, we, we killed the bad guy. Things are going to get better. And, you know, whew. And then maybe at the end, there's something that I'll say. And by the way, there'll be a sequel, you know, but, but it's just that kind of feel good moment where we vanquished the bad guy. We overcame whatever challenges and, and we made it, you know, at the end of this movie, uh, he is turned into the werewolf. And the woman who has fallen in love with him says, I love you, David. And then the werewolf goes like that. And then all like 20 cops shoot him. And then he's like, ah, and then he turns into back into his human form and he's laying there bleeding and he's dead. And then it cuts the credits. (laughs) (laughs) And (laughs) it cuts the credits so fast. It's not even like it doesn't linger on him and she doesn't run up and just be like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. But this was the only way to break the curse. There's none of that. It's just he's dead. And then it goes, I see the bad moon arising. I mean, he goes right into song. Credits are scrolling. And I thought that was abrupt. (laughs) They don't make them like they used to, Sean. Yeah, it's a good ending, though. I like that. I don't. I don't. I don't always want that little sappy ending, you know. You know what I wanted? If I were making this movie, uh, you would have him get shot, right? You would have the girl go over, and she'd be standing over the body. The camera pulls back. You see the police officers with their guns. You see the crowd go all the way back, and then it's the two buddies 
and they're both dead. Now they're both corpses, and they're like, boy, that sucked being a werewolf. And he's like, you're telling me. Let's go get a pizza or something. <laughs> and they're both now their corpses, and then they walk off. And now they've been reunited, and they're buddies again. They're just buddies in death, you know. Just something to kind of be like, all right, well, no, it's just bullet to the face, cut to credits. That's the end. You know, they love to remake movies. Maybe it'll happen. Maybe you'll get that. A lot of the movies we've talked about tonight had sequels, and this one was no exception. This one had uh, an American werewolf in Paris. It was in the late 90s. I believe it's known for having some of the worst CGI effects ever seen in theaters. Uh, I have tried to watch it a couple of times. I think there's some guys on motorcycles. I don't even... I. Could not put together a plot on that. I just remember it being pretty bad. That's my memory of, of that hmm. sequel. Never saw it. Outside the scope of this podcast and good for us. <laughs> we are lucky we'll never have to talk about it. Yeah, not you know what? Sometimes there's a movie and I'm like, oh, man, I want to talk about that movie, but I, I can't. It's. 1990 or i mean we did we do we have done like 70s movies but generally it's 80s so i'm like even like for this this decade like there's some like i was just looking up a movie from the 70s it happens to be in the 70s i'm like oh man i wish we could have done that movie so but yeah sometimes you went out where you're like oh good what if we had a map of all the holes in the space-time continuum we could jump through those little holes we could go and watch a movie from before the 80s or after the 80s and then come back to this podcast and talk about it. Would that work? No. Oh, boy. The IMDb would still be the same, Rob. I'm sorry. All right. We could well, go Rob Napoleon. You've you've broke the supreme being's heart. Oh, sorry. It's a good thing I'm not a believer. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think that's the big the big list of movies we got for this one. You got anything else for no, us? No, no, that's uh that's gonna wrap this one up. Uh I don't know if you uh have any honorable mentions that you wanna talk about or anything any last minute things before we uh wrap this up and meet these fine folks back in March when we do nineteen eighty two. Well, you know, um Obviously, the idea of this show is for us to talk about uh, just some of the movies that we have memories of, things that we revisited in 1981. That doesn't necessarily mean these were the top grossing films of the year. If we were going to do that, uh, the very first one on the list would have been Raiders of the Lost Ark. There were a lot of sequels in 1981. We got Superman 2, Halloween 2, Friday the 13th, Part 2. Uh, we, I think that we talked a little bit about stripes on a previous episode, uh, escape from New York. Uh, we did an entire episode about under the rainbow. That was a very, very, very early throwback reviews. That's another one that you can find on the archive page, which also has probably some of the same little people that were time banded. So lots of other, um, movies from 1981 for sure. All right, well, that's going to wrap up this episode. If you want to get in touch with us, send us those HB-only suggestions or movies that you have. Send it to throwbackreviews at gmail.com. You can find any podcasts that I'm currently doing and my past shows and episodes if you head over to alldutchpods.com. And you can find Rob and all of his adventures, his podcasts, everything he's got going on. Just head over to robohara.com. 
gmail.com. I think that is going to nail it for this month, and uh, we'll see you in March. All righty. We'll be- oh, my gosh. You know what I forgot to talk about was another movie from 1981. It was Dragon's Lair. That was the other one that I was thinking of. Dragon's Lair was... Uh, I mean, a movie that got so many D&D nerds excited and it got kids like me introduced into that world of mythical Dungeons and Dragons. Of course, you got a great special effects. You got a dragon. You got a chick that's a dude. You got skinny dipping. You got fire breathing dragon. Uh, and you got the magic guy from the never ending story. There were so many cool things about uh, dragon Let's go.